Amen. So as we've been going through the book of Romans, again, I mentioned last week how Paul, right, he's just on this, uh, this doctrinal trip, right, verses of chapters 1 through 8. He's just, man, doctrine, 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 doctrine. You know, he's, he's just teaching these deep spiritual truths about the Bible, about salvation, about Jesus, about justification, about righteousness. Right? He's getting the point across to the readers who are, this, book, this letter was, was originally penned to the believers who were at Rome. A lot of them were hardcore Jews. A lot of them were, were Gentiles, meaning that they were not a religious Jews, right? They were either Greeks or, or, or of another nationality who just, man, it was just a body of believers, right? All of a sudden they came to Jesus and now they're all Christians, but they still have these culture, cultural barriers or these cultural backgrounds or even these religious backgrounds that are kind of seeping into now their Christian walk, right? And, and, and they're becoming kind of a stumbling block because for the Jews specifically, the Orthodox Jews, they were putting these trips on the rest of the believers saying, all right, uh, it's good that you accepted Jesus. It's good that you believe by faith. It's, all that is great. But you also have to be circumcised. You also have to keep the Sabbath. You also have to keep these other uh, uh, laws of Moses. And so Paul writes to them to correct all these different things. And he tells them how, how, man, how no person is justified by keeping the law. He said, look, the law, was, the law is good. It's perfect. right? It's absolutely perfect. But he says, the law can't save you. Right? You can't be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. We can't be saved by, by, by keeping all these uh, religious ordinances and traditions. We can't. Right? The, the law was meant to point us to Christ and to show us how far we've fallen from perfection. The law is a visual standard of, God, of God's uh, righteous requirement. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, all these different things. And as you go through them, you realize that you've either, either committed one of those physically or inwardly in your heart. And so Paul's writing to them, he's saying, look, he says, you can't be made righteous by keeping the law. You can't be forgiven of your sins by keeping the law. Why? Because we're all going to fall short at one point or another. And then he goes on to, 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 to just pound in the idea, right, pound in the truth that justification, meaning being made righteous before God, comes by faith in Jesus Christ and on what he did on the cross alone. And so as, he, as he's just boom, 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 bam, just like thought after thought after thought after thought, we get to chapters 9, 10, and 11. Where it seems that he kind of makes his pause from just this, these truths that, 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 he's, that he's teaching. And he begins to just share his heart for his own people. Right? As he's addressing many Jews there in Rome, as he's addressing Gentiles, he kind of takes his pause and he says, Man, he says, my heart is burdened for my own people, for the Jews. For those religious, orthodox Jews who, who, who can't come to Jesus, who can't come to salvation by Jesus because of faith. Right? They can't get past the fact that, that the Gentiles, that God has the same plan for salvation for the Gentiles as he does for the Jews. Right? And, and his heart is burdened for his people who, who just can't come to the completion of the knowledge of Christ because they're holding on to these old traditions, the old law, and it's keeping them from coming to, to salvation. And so as he begins to just share his heart in chapter 9, he begins to just pound in this, 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 this truth that, hey, look, God has predestined us from before the foundations of the earth to be saved so that we would know him. And, and, and he begins to just uh, share uh, Israel's present rejection. And as he goes into uh, chapters 10, he begins to share how he still wants to reach his own people, right? And so chapter 10 starts off by saying this. In verse 1 it says, My brothers, or it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Plain and simple, right? The Apostle Paul, he was getting all kinds of backlash. He was considered within his own people, he was considered a traitor, right? The Jews hated him. Multiple times as we went through the book of Acts, we saw that they tried to stone him. They tried to kill him. Why? Because they considered him a traitor to his own people. Because all of a sudden he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Keep in mind that back then, 
the Orthodox Jews, right? They believe that, that, that the Gentiles, meaning that the non-Jewish people, had only one purpose here on earth. And that is to die and to keep the flames of, fire, of hell burning. And so for them to hear that all of a sudden one of their own, Paul, the uh, Pharisee of Pharisees, the most religious Jew, right, of the tribe of Benjamin, this, this zealous guy for the law, all of a sudden has, is preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone to the Gentiles. And it was enough for them to, to want to kill him. And they did. They, they tried to kill him many times. One time there in the book of Acts, we see how they stoned him. Uh, and they thought he was dead. So they just dragged his, dead to his unconscious body outside of the city. So he could just rot. They thought he was dead. But he was just unconscious. All of a sudden, he, he gained his consciousness. Oh, what happened? I'm all beat up. Oh, well, all right. Got to go keep sharing Jesus. And he goes back into the, city, into the city and just shares the gospel again. But that was the Apostle Paul. And so because he was considered a traitor, he starts off by, in, in chapter 9 by saying, look, he says... He says, my heart, my heart's desire is that I would see my own people be saved. Then chapter 10, he says, my heart's desire and my prayer. It's not just something that he longed for, but it's something that he actively pursued through prayer. He says, is that, my, is that Israel, my own people, would be saved? Right? And in this, we see the heart of Paul. We see the heart of a shepherd. Right? And really, we see the heart that all of us should have for those who are man, not saved. Right? Do you look at the world and do you see them just uh, wasting away? And sin, and are you burning for those things? Do you go to work and do you see everyone who doesn't know the Lord just, uh, man, just on their way to hell? And and does it hurt you? Does it does it burden you? Right, that was the heart of Paul, and that's really the the, the heart of the Lord. That's the heart of the, of the of the great Shepherd of Shepherds, Jesus. Right. Remember, the Bible says that God desires for none to perish, meaning for none to be lost, but for all to come to the knowledge of Christ. And so he goes on to say, he says, my heart's desire and my prayer is. For to God is for Israel. It says that they may be saved. It says for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so he says, look, my heart's desire and my prayer, right? It's not just a heart's desire, but I'm actively seeking through prayer that my people Israel will be saved. He says for I witness myself that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Right? Apostle, the Apostle Paul was a perfect person to, to, to pin these words. Why? Because he was once a religious zealot. Right? He was overly religious and he thought he was doing the right thing. Right? And in his zealousy, meaning in his righteous jealousy for the things of God, he persecuted the Christians. Right? We have uh, there in the book of Acts the account of the Apostle Paul where he made it his life's aim and purpose to extinguish Christianity. We're told that he himself uh, ordered the, 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 the killing of, of Stephen, right? And so as the religious Jews were storming him to death, they put their jackets on, on the feet of the Apostle Paul, symbolizing, all right, he's the one who called the hit on Stephen. They laid their jackets at his feet, and he's just watching over as they're storming him to death, right? We're told that the Apostle Paul, that he wreaked havoc there in Jerusalem, that he chased people out of their homes, that he uh, condemned many to prison, to death. And all of a sudden, he, he now being saved some years later, he, he's saying, look, I bear witness to them that they have a zeal for God. He says, but it's not according to knowledge. Why? Because that was the same, same zeal that the Apostle Paul had. He was zealous for the things of God, but he lacked knowledge, that knowledge of Christ. Right? John, uh, there in John 4.24, I believe it's 4.24, uh, Jesus would say, hey, he says, those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Right? Those who are to worship God must worship in spirit and true. So he says, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And so notice what he says, that, that, that zeal in itself, it's a good thing. 
It's a good thing, right? It's a good, it's a good thing to be zealous for God. But it's not enough. Right? Imagine going to the doctors, imagine going to the surgeons, and uh, you show up, right? You tell the doctor, right, doctor, I gotta have this huge surgery on my heart. You know what you're doing, right? He's like, ah, oh, no, but I'm zealous. I'm excited, right? I'm passionate about what I do. Did you go to school? Well, no, but I'm just zealous. I'm, I'm passionate. I know I could do this. Man, you wouldn't trust your own life in the hands of somebody who had zealousness, but no knowledge, right? And so how much more is it when we come to the Lord, right? You could come to God with all the zealousy in the world, right? With all the right intentions, with all the good motives, but without that knowledge of Christ, it doesn't amount to much or you won't get too far. And we live in a world today, in a society today, who is descriptive of this, right? Zealous for many things, but lacking knowledge. In a society today where, man, we live in a society that has so much information, but lacks knowledge. So much knowledge, but lacks wisdom. Right? No way to apply it. And so the Apostle Paul says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Right? So it's this misguided zeal. And in their own understanding, in their own hearts, they think that they're doing God a service. He says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That is through Christ. So he says, look man, he says, they're, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. Right? They think that, that, they're, that they're attaining God's righteousness by what they're doing, right? They're keeping of the law or their, their attempt at keeping of the law. Their, their, their attempt at keeping all the religious festivals, their attempt at keeping all the religious traditions and rituals, circumcision, Sabbath, all these other things, not eating certain foods, and they think, oh man, God is pleased with us. We've been doing good, right? They could look down at everyone else who's not doing the things of God and say, look, man, God's on our side. God's for us because we're doing all these things for Him. So they're saying, they're, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They thought that righteousness came through outward things, outward joints, keeping laws, keeping traditions, not eating foods or eating certain foods. And they look, that's enough to, to make us righteous before God. And Paul would say, no man, you're ignorant. You lack knowledge in the righteousness of God. Why? Because we know that the righteousness of God doesn't come by what we eat or drink or do or, 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 or even say. Right? But it comes through a belief in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross and His resurrection. Excuse me. I was yelling away with the kids and I lost my voice. <laughs> So he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It's like, man, they left the better for the good. They sought good things, but in their pursuit for these good things, right? Keeping the law, doing all these other things. They sought the good, but they forsook the better. And the better is that righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. They were ignorant of the fact that they didn't have to try to keep all these laws. All they had to do was just, man, believe in Jesus, believe in what He did on the cross, believe that He died for their sins, that He rose again on the third day, and that through that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that now God looks at us as righteous and as justified. Meaning, He looks at us just as if we had never sinned. And so in their attempt to keep the law and to, be, you know, and to not be sinners, man, they sinned because they neglected God's perfect sacrifice, His perfect gift. And so He says, for, the, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone, notice, who believes. He's saying, look, man, you guys are trying to keep the law to be made righteous. But you're ignorant of the fact that Christ, in Christ, in our, through our belief in Jesus Christ, says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice they didn't say it's the end of the law. Right? Because the law still stands. 
And the law is God's righteous requirement. But he said, Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Right? The law, though being good, man, it can't make us perfect. The law, though being good, and, and man, if somebody lives by the law, or tries to live by the law, because no one can fully live by the law, right? The Ten Commandments. But if somebody attempts to live their life by the law, it's a good thing, right? I mean, those things, they're good things. Honor your mother and father, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, they're all great things. But they do nothing for the salvation of your soul. And so Paul would say, look, Christ is the end of those attempts of keeping the law to be made righteous before God. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice, to everyone who goes to church seven days a week, tithes faithfully, does all these outreaches, does no. He says, for everyone who believes. He says, apart from our outward workings, he says, apart from what we can do, he says, simply just believing. Christ, righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is now imparted to us through our belief and what he did on the cross for us. He says, to everyone who believes, right? And says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. And he quotes Deuteronomy there, he says, the man who does these things shall live by them. He says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He says, but what does it say? He says, the word is near to you. He says, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, that is the word of faith that we preach. So that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he says, you'll be saved. For with the heart one makes, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so Paul says, look, he says, Moses, he says, even Moses writes about this. He says, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Right? And so now pointing to somebody who every single religious Jew would know about, right? Moses, the giver of the law. The one whom, through whom God uh, gave him the law. He, he says, look, even, even Moses wrote of a future law. Right? A law that was not going to be inscribed on tablets. But a law that was going to be inscribed in our hearts. That was going to be so close to it. That was going to be in our mouths. In our tongues. In our hearts. Coming from us. Right? And as he's quoting there from the law. He says, the man who does these things shall live by them. So he says, look, the Old Testament was this. Do, 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 do. And you'll live. But he says in the New Testament, this new sacrifice, he says, man, don't say who's going to, man, we're so far from God. Someone needs to go up into heaven to bring Jesus to us so we could be close to him. Or someone needs to uh, descend into, into the grave and, and raise up Jesus from the dead so he could be close to us. But he says, no, he says, look, the, the, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Right? That is the word of faith that we preach. Right? And he says, man, if you just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's it. That's it. Believe and confession. Now, this confession isn't what we normally think of when we think of confession. Right? This is a verse that I've used, a lot of us have used maybe to preach the gospel. Hey, man, look, the Bible says you confess with your mouth, so say this prayer after me, right? When we do this uh, this quote-unquote sinner's prayer. But that's not what this verse is saying. That's not what this verse is saying. Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, uh, that the Lord Jesus, that, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. Now, for the for the hearer, for for the for the for the listener of, of Paul's words, who is man striving, living every single day to keep this religious law, 
right? I mean, using all their effort, using all their strength to keep this law and yet falling short and then waking up the next morning having to try to live up to this religious righteous standard and then falling short then waking up the next morning trying to do it all over again for them to hear man all you got to do is just believe right for the right person man it's a it's a it's a it's a weight off your shoulders it's a sigh of relief to know that man i've been trying to please god in my own works and my own strength and i can't i fall short all i have to do is just believe it says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, that He's Lord, is and believe in your heart that God has risen from the dead, you will be saved. Meaning, as you believe on who Jesus is, He says you don't just believe that He existed, right? Many people believe that Jesus existed. Man, even uh, Stephen Hawking believed that Jesus was a historical figure. You could believe that Jesus existed, but unless you make Him Lord of your life, says then the cross has no power over your life, right? He would say, if you confess with your mouth that the, that the Lord Jesus, if you confess Him as your Lord. Now again, keep in mind that, that as Paul's writing to him, right, they live in, uh, under Roman rule at this time where they have many lords. The Greek word here is kurios. Many lords. Many emperors. Uh, the Caesars, all the, all, the, all the different emperors that, 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 that were above them, all the different governors that were all, all these regions. Right? And they would have to refer to Him as my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Meaning what? That this person has complete authority over your life. They say, hey man, curfew's at 10 p.m. You can't go out of your house at 10 p.m., all right? Yes, Lord. Hey, uh, you can't go to, you can't drive through these streets on Saturdays or whatever? Oh, yes, Lord. And now Paul says, look, if you confess Jesus as your Lord, meaning what? Meaning that we submit our lives to Him, His desires, right? And that's kind of where people, that's kind of like the fork in the road for many people's lives. As they come to the Lord, as they, you know, uh, believe on what He did on the cross, but then you get to the point of making Jesus your Lord. That is, that is submitting your life to Him, saying, all right, Lord, whatever you want from me, my life is yours. Right? I belong to you. That's kind of the fork of the road because no one wants to, 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 to really submit everything or give up everything to the Lord. Right? There's certain things that we don't want to let go of. There's certain things that maybe uh, we're, 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 we're still holding on to. And we're scared that God's going to say, all right, let that go and just follow me. Right? Jesus would tell His, his followers in the Gospel of Luke, he would say, hey man, if anybody desires to walk after me, let him first deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Okay? And so we see that the, the following Jesus and picking up our cross entails death. Right? It involves death. That is death to self. Jesus would say, hey man, deny yourself. And me and my flesh, there's all kinds of different things that I would want to do in my flesh. Things that go contrary to God's law. Things that go contrary to God's desires for my life. And to hear Jesus say, you know what? <laughs> deny yourself. Deny yourself of those things to follow me. And that's where each and every one of, one of us have to make a decision whether we're going to live for our worldly pleasures, live for our own pursuits, hold on to those things and deny Christ or give them up and follow God. Right? And so you would say, again, that if you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, meaning, hey man, confess Jesus as the Lord, as your Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice that. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. How is a person made righteous before God? It happens right here. Right? We put all these different trips on people. Oh, he's, I know he will save because this, this, that, and the other. I saw him. He never cussed. Or this, that, or maybe this, that. I mean, all these different trips that we put on people. And we, and we determine someone's salvation based on these outward showings. Oh yeah, I know he was. I knew he was the Lord because I don't know. You fill in the blank. 
But notice that Paul says, hey, that righteousness comes through belief in the heart. That's something that none of us can see. We can't see when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't see, physically see the, the, the moment that that person is made righteous in heaven. Right? Because the Bible tells us that as soon as we, we, we believe in the Lord Jesus, we're told that now God sees us in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see us no more for what I did, for my sins, for my, you know, all, all my history, for all these different things. No, but now he sees me for the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And that happened right here. Everything else that we see is the fruit of what first sprouts in here, in the heart. Right? Someone believes into salvation. Someone is made righteous through the belief in their heart. And everything else you see, it, it stems out of their belief in Jesus. And so he says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Meaning that whatever comes out of the mouth, it first stems from the heart. And so if somebody is truly saved and is made righteous before the Lord, hey man, their, 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 their speech is going to save. Right? I don't have to show up and more, work every morning. Hey, all right, guys, by the way, I'm a Christian. I've been made righteous. All right, guys, you need prayer, hit me up. I'm parked over there. No, man, I don't, if we just, it just naturally flows out of our heart. Right? Jesus would, would, uh, would address the religious leaders there in the Gospels. I believe it's in Matthew and, and in Luke. And he would address these religious leaders, these Pharisees who were, who were so concerned with the outward appearance. Right? And then one day, uh, Jesus was walking with, with his disciples, and they walked through a field, and then they went to go eat, and the, and the religious leaders were just watching them closely. And as they were eating, right, keep in mind that back then they didn't use forks and spoons and all these things, right? they just, a bread, and they would just, everyone would just dip their hand into this big bowl, and it was like a big communal bowl. And the, the religious leaders would wait until they were eating, and they would come up and they would tell Jesus, hey, we notice your followers don't wash their hands before they eat. What's up with that? Right? They, they've defiled themselves. And then Jesus would say, don't you know, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but it's what comes out that defiles them. Why? Because what comes out stems from the heart. You know, shut them up right there. Because for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. I love that. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right? Stems from the heart. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Right? Quoting Isaiah. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And there's a lot of things that put us to shame. You think about some of the things you did in your past. You think about some of those secret sins that no one sees, right? When the doors are closed, when everyone's at work, when everyone's gone. You think, man, if, if someone would just play a... a Put my, my life right there on, on, on the screen. I'd be so ashamed. I'd run out of here. But the Bible says, man, whoever believes on him, on Jesus, will not be put to shame. The Bible says this, that every man, every person is destined to die. And after death, the judgment. Meaning that when every single one of us dies, we're all going to be face to face with man, the God. With, with God, with the, the judge. right? The judge of all judges. God. And in that, in that moment, man, a lot of people are going to be put to shame. A lot of people who are here on earth rejected Christ, denied God, tried to come to God on their own terms. And it's going to be a shameful moment for a lot of people up in heaven when that day comes. But Paul will tell him, man, for us who have believed on the Lord, who have believed uh, in His righteousness through faith on what Jesus did on the cross, he says, for the scripture says that whoever believes on him, man, will not be put to shame. We have nothing to worry about. 
right? When we die and we're face to face with God, and you're expecting, all right, here it is, finally, I get you face to face, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna expose you before all of heaven and all the angels. And say, so he's gonna say, hey, come in, come in, son, come in, daughter. I've been waiting for you. Right? Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. He says, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so notice what Paul is saying. He says, the scripture says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich to all who call upon him. Right? And, and as these Orthodox Jews would be like, man, no way, there's no way that, that, that our God has the same plan of salvation for us as He does for the Gentiles, as He does for the Greeks, as He does for the Romans, as He does for every other person who is not Jew. There's no way. Right? God who chose our father Abraham from, from, from among all, uh, all the world, right? chose him to make a nation out of, given 12 sons, 12 tribes, has kept us through His lineage, right? brought forth the Messiah. There's no way God has the same plan for, for them as He does for for us and what Paul, Paul would say hey there's no distinction for God God doesn't see in all those things right we take pride in our culture we take pride in our in, in, in our nationalities we take pride of pride in where we come from and Paul would say Paul would say man God doesn't care about that stuff Paul would say hey, man God doesn't look at those differences that we put on, on on each other he says for God there is no distinction between Jew or Greek right for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved it's so interesting how Paul, again, as he, in, these, in these chapters 9, 10, and 11, we see how chapter 9, he focused on, on God's sovereignty. You were predestined. You were chosen right, before the foundations of the earth. Right? You, were, you were predestined unto salvation. But also now in chapter, in chapter 10, he focuses on the other side of that coin. But also you have a responsibility to respond to that choosing. It says, there's no distinction. It says, for... Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God already did the choosing. God already did the choosing. Jesus would say in the gospel, He says, Many are called, but few are chosen. That doesn't mean that of all the people that God calls, He's like, All right, let me see. All right. Pick him, her, them, brother. All right. For the rest of you guys, I called you, but I don't need you. No, that's not what He's saying. He says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because few choose to respond to that calling. But God has called all of us. He says, The same Lord. Overall is rich to all who call upon him. Right? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no such thing as somebody's gonna call on God, but oh you weren't you weren't on the list. You weren't on heaven's predestined list, so you can't come. No. Paul will say, Look, man, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's anybody. Right? No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, Paul will say either you, whether you're a Jew or a Greek or whatever. He says, God is rich in mercy to all those who call upon him. Man, that's sobering. That's a huge sigh of relief. Right? Man, you could call me and I'll be honest, I'm not the best with phone calls. Most of the time I won't respond. I'm at work, I'm this, at the other. Right? It's easier for me to get back to a text. But God, man, to know that I could call God at any time. 3 in the morning, 2 in the morning, 5 a.m., uh, 12 p.m. Man, and God's going to answer when I call. We did a song right now next door. Uh, he hears my... Oh, wait. He sees my tears and he hears me when I call. And we're sharing with the kids, man, that's God. That even look, even when you think you're all alone, and he sees those tears that are shed that no one else sees, and he hears you when you call, even if you whisper. 
even if you don't say it out loud. That's who God is. It says, God is rich in mercy to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, then how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Right? And so Paul is just kind of playing on that thought. Right? He says, look, man, God is rich in mercy to all who call upon Him. Right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he says, but how are they going to call unless somebody uh, uh, tells them of Christ? Right? How is someone going to call, call upon the Lord? How is someone going to believe in Jesus? Because how are they going to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Right? And so Paul kind of goes, as he's playing on these thoughts, he says, look man, a person is saved by their belief in Jesus Christ. But somebody doesn't know what to believe in until somebody tells them. And someone's not going to tell them unless somebody sends that person to go tell them. And so really we see that it's God who does the sending. Right? God is... God has entrusted us our own little sphere of influence. Your family, your co-workers, wherever you encounter on an everyday basis. Your kids, the lady at the grocery store, your neighbor. God has entrusted us with our own little sphere of influence. You don't have to reach, man, the people over there in China. God has people over there, right? Unless he calls you to over there. But you don't have to worry about, man, well, how am I going to get the word over there? Hey, don't worry about that. God's going to take care of that. But you focus on your little sphere of influence that God has given you. All right? Because he says, how are they going to believe unless someone preaches to them? And how is someone going to preach unless, unless they're sent? There's a scripture that, that, that a lot of uh, like missionary organizations use. Right? All right, man, the church is going to send this person out to go preach the gospel in South America because how are they going to hear unless, they, unless, unless someone, someone preaches? And how are they going to preach unless someone is sent? And that's good, right? It's, it's, it's a good basis for it. But really we see that you don't have to wait for a church to send you out. You don't wait, have to wait for me to say, all right, guys, uh, I want you to go preach the gospel to this person at... Uh, about 2 p.m. on Saturday, we're doing an outreach. No. God is the one who does the sending. God is the one who does the equipping. God is the one who does the calling. Right? And more than that, God is the one who does the work in the hearts of the hearers. Right? A lot of people don't want to go out there and you don't want to share your faith because you're like, well, what if they don't believe? What if they re- reject me? I remember what, uh, what, what, what the Lord told Samuel as, uh, as the people were crying out for a king. We want a king like the rest of the nations. And Samuel got all mad. He's like, man, or he says, you hear him? You hear him, God? They're so ungrateful. And God would tell Samuel, hey, man, they, they haven't rejected you. Like they rejected me from, from leaning over them. Right? And we see the same for us, man. As you go out there and preach the gospel, yeah, you might get shut down. I've had someone cuss me out. I was with Tony one time in, in uh, Main Street, and someone came out of us with a knife. Get out of here, man. We don't hear about Jesus. Were you there after that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man. Right? People are not always gonna 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 want to hear. People are not always gonna receive. But I love how it's God who does the work in the individual's heart. Right? It's God who does the work in the individual's heart. We're not called to save anybody, dude. I can't save anybody. You barely save my man. I barely keep myself alive, right? We're not called to save anybody, but we're called to be just the messengers. We're just the messengers. We're just the voices, right? And 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 God has placed it on our hearts, man, to answer that call. We've all been commissioned with the great commission that is uh, going to all the world, preach the gospel, uh, preach them, preach the gospel unto them, you know, and uh, make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. Not everyone has a gift of evangelists, but all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist, and that is just 
sharing the good news of Jesus, right? And so Paul, again, would say, and how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is kind of like a, uh, let me see, like a contradiction. It's, it's kind of like a play on words because, you know, keep in mind that back then they didn't have these, like, sketchers the, uh, with the cushion this big. You could walk on your feet right all day and, and your feet won't get busted up. Now, man, they had flat sandals and uh, they were, their feet would get all dirty and busted up from walking around all day. And yet, Paul is saying, look, man, that person that's just walking around the, all the mountains, up and down, getting all scratched up, getting all dinged up, big old wrapped toe because it's bleeding. And they're just walking around sharing Jesus, sharing the good news. This man, how beautiful are the feet of that person who's just walking around just sharing Jesus. You think, oh. Yeah. All right, but Paul says, man, to God, he says, man, those feet are beautiful. Why? Because they're doing the work of the ministry. They're doing the work of God. All right? And I love that because not all of us, I mean, not all of us maybe are the best or the most equipped or the most eloquent speakers. Right? But man, when you take it upon yourself to answer the call of God in your life, this applies to you, man, how beautiful are the feet of those who just are preaching the gospel of peace, right? Who, who bring uh, glad tidings of good things or good news. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. It says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Right? People say, hey, man, how come you guys don't do anything else in church but just teach the Bible? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? We should have it. Hey, man, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. In the Greek, when it says hearing the word of God, it, 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 uh, it gives the idea of uh, actually uh, hearing someone speak it. Or hearing someone, uh, uh, yeah, recite it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing somebody just speak the word of God, right? And so, if you ever find yourself in your walk struggling in your faith, man, get in the word. That's one of the first things I, I tell people when they come, and they're like, hey, man, I'm struggling in my faith, bro. I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord. My first question is, how's your personal devotion time? How's your time in, your, in the word? How often are you spending time with Jesus in the word? And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it hasn't been very good. Okay? Well, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Right? And we see that as we're going through all these different things, man, and as we just take it upon ourselves to go through the word, we see that the Lord just begins to sort those things out of my life. Man, Lord, I got this, this out of my heart, I'm burdened by this. Get in the word, all right. Oh, man, there it is. You just answered my question, Lord. Or, man, or let's go to my situation right now. Right? God desires to meet us in his word. So he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He says, but I say, verse 18, have they not heard? He says, yeah, indeed they heard. He says, their sound has gone out of all the earth and, the, and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? And first Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. He says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask, ask for me. And then to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. And so Paul, he's addressing the listener of this letter or the reader of this letter who would think, well, if God is so rich in mercy and if God answers anybody who calls and if God is, 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 is sending people out to go preach and people are going to receive, then why isn't the nation of Israel at that present time and for the most part today also, why haven't they believed? Why haven't they heard? He says, have they not all heard? And Paul will say, yeah, they did it. He says, it's in the scripture. And then he quotes, he, he quotes here from, uh, from the prophet Isaiah. He says, their sound has gone out to all the earth 
and their words to the end of the world mean man God's word has gone out to the end of the world and again it's going to fall in different types of soil not everyone's going to believe right he says their word has gone out to the end of the world and then Paul reveals to us as he's just trying to kind of explain the sovereignty of God and, and, and what he does and he says look God has a twofold purpose in Israel's rejection of the Messiah right you would think Man, God used the nation of Israel to bring forth the Messiah. They should be the first ones to believe, right? They should be the first ones in line to heaven. But for the most part, a lot of them rejected him. Paul was one of them until he had a personal encounter with the Lord. And so Paul says, look, man, God had a twofold purpose in Israel's rejecting, rejecting of the Messiah. Not that God made them reject. No, God doesn't do that. But he says, but God knew that they were going to reject. And in that, he planned ahead. God is sovereign, right? God exists outside of time. So he sees our present, our future, our past as if it was one, right? We trip on things that come up to us because we don't know what's going to happen. That's why we stress, why we, that's why we get anxiety, that's why we're fearful because we don't know what's going to happen in the situation. But God does, right? He sees it as if it's already done. It's already done. And so Paul, in revealing this twofold purpose, he says, look, he quotes uh, from, from, from the prophet Isaiah, he says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And then Isaiah says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Right? And so in God reaching out to save the Jews, they rejected Christ and the message of the gospel was extended to the Gentiles. It's not that we were an afterthought for God. No, God planned this all along before the foundations of the earth. But he used Israel's rejection to extend that message to the Gentiles, meaning to those non-Jews, to all of us. Right there in the book of Acts, we see how Paul's custom, we see that every single city he went to, what was the first thing he did? Synagogue. Went to the temple, went to the synagogues, went to the Jews first. They would reject, and then he would say, all right, man, I'm going to the Gentiles. Until finally, the, it was the last trial. He's like, all right, man, he says, you guys are just heart of heart. He says, I've been commissioned to the Gentiles. Right? But his heart was always to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And so now he's really being lit. Man, God's purpose, he had a twofold purpose. He knew they were going to reject, but in the rejection, God used the rejection to provoke them to jealousy as they see the Gentiles get saved. Saying, man, they're getting saved through our Messiah, right? through our God. They're calling on the name of our God. Well, there's got to be more to this. right? And so we see God has this twofold purpose that Paul, even in man, he is his great awesome thinking right his great mind he, he's, he explains very well but I know there's even more to this that, that, uh, that you can't put into words like man how do you describe the infinite right how does a finite describe the infinite God we can't but but he reveals that look, there was a twofold purpose right and then uh, chapter 11 he says I say then has God cast away his people he says no way certainly not for I also am an Israelite the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin and so again, to the person who is hearing this and saying, well, look, they reject this, so that means that God's probably done with them. He's only reaching out to the Gentiles, right? We've replaced the nation of Israel. It's something that's crept into the church, replacement theology, people who teach that. Now the church, the New Testament church, has, has replaced Israel right, and God's promises. All right, Israel rejected. Now we've, they've been replaced by the church, replacement theology, right? When uh, the general Roman Titus came in 70 AD and destroyed the temple, then the Jews were exiled from their homeland. For many years, all right, that's what was taught, replacement theology. That's where this was born out of. Saying, all right, man, God's done with the Jews. He's done with them. They, they had their chance. It's all about us now, right? The New Testament church. 
a lot of great reformers. Even Martin, Martin Luther, he was a great man that God used, but he was an anti-Semite. He blamed the Jews for all of the plagues that were in the world at that time. Why? Because he saw it as that as well. Man, we've replaced the Jews. Right? God's done with the Jews. It's all about us now. God's going to use us to spread the message of, of the gospel to the whole world. And Paul would say, so what? Is God done with his people? Has he cast away his people? He says, certainly not. I mean, that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel to this present day. Right? And so for us as New Testament believers, man, it's God's desire that we would pray for the nation of Israel. Doesn't mean that we have to be like the Jews, dress like them, do whatever they do. No, man. But just pray for them. Pray for them. Why? Because God still has a plan for them. A lot of that plan is going to take place in the last seven years of the tribulation period. Where we see that God's going to extend His hand one more time through all these different plagues and stuff that come upon the earth. He says, the nation of Israel, a lot of them are going to open up their eyes. They're going to see, wow, man, we missed the Messiah. They were right all along. It was Jesus. So he says, look, man. He says, God's not done with them. He says, if he, if he was, then I wouldn't be here. He says, look, for I'm an Israelite. I'm of the seed of Abraham, and I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul's saying, look, man, I'm a Jew. I said, I'm of the Jew of Jews, right? He says, if God was done with the nation of Israel, I wouldn't be here. He says, God has not cast away his people for whom... God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Now bring up Elijah chapter 19. He says, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars, and I alone am left, and, seek, and they seek my life. But what does the divine say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so Paul brings up this scripture in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. You can read about it. Where the prophet Elijah, hardcore prophet, right? Hardcore prophet. He was used mightily of God. And he's there in the nation of Israel. And uh, King Ahab is reigning at the time. His wicked wife Jezebel is pretty much, you know, the one who was calling the shots. And she had a bunch of the prophets of God killed. And she instituted in their place prophets of Baal. You know, they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping this, this false god, Baal. They were sacrificing their baby on these little, uh, on these little altars. And then uh, God uses the, the prophet Elijah to go and to preach to them repentance. And Jezebel says, you know what, man? He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to stop until I kill you. Elijah gets all depressed, runs into the wilderness, hides out in a cave. He's there for a few days. And God reaches out to him. He says, look, man, what are you doing here? In a loving way. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah would say, oh God, man, they've killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left. What am I supposed to do? And God would tell Elijah. He says, no, Elijah. He says, I still have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so that's Paul's message to the hearer who would think, look, is God done with the nation of Israel? And he would bring up Elijah and he would bring up what God told Elijah. He says, no, God has, still has a remnant. Right? People there, little pockets of people that are going to believe in, the, in God's perfect timing. He still has a remnant. So it's, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Just, but if it, is, if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. <laughs> so it's like a little confusing. But he says, look, man, he says, God has reserved people specifically of the nation of Israel, Jews, who are going to still come to salvation. Right? He says, and it's going to be a work of God's grace. It's not going to be a work of what we can do, what he can preach, but God, by his grace, still has a remnant of people who need to believe. Right? He says, but it's by grace. He says, what then, verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor or blindness, eyes that, have, that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. As David says, 
Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and, and bow their, their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Says, certainly not. Says, but through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Right? It's not that God himself physically blinded them, but it's that God knew their blindness. And God knew that they were going to harden their hearts towards the Messiah, towards Jesus. And he allowed it. He allowed it in His sovereignty and His grace. But again, His twofold purpose is that, is that they would reject the Messiah, is that they would reject Jesus, it would be extended to the Gentiles. Right? He says, but Paul says, so is how they stumble that they should fall, meaning that they should be cast off completely? He says, certainly not. Again, that word, certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, then how much more their fullness. He's saying, man, look, if through their rejection, through their rejection, through their fall, the gospel was extended to the whole world because they rejected it. And if because if through their failure riches it meant riches for the Gentiles, for everyone else, then imagine what their fullness would mean. Say, man, if God has blessed the world so much through Israel's rejection, then imagine what their acceptance will bring to the world. Right? Meaning the plans that God has for them. So again, as, as a body of believers, man, you should put it in your heart to, to, to pray for the nation of Israel. Share the gospel with the Jew whenever you get a chance. Right? I was blessed to see a Jew come to salvation when we were in, in Israel in 2017. We're out. Uh, I went with a couple of brothers. One of them had a heart to share with Jews. I was like, no way, man. They're, they'll never get saved. I had a heart to share with Muslims. He's like, he was telling me, no, you should pray for the Jews. And he went through this whole chapter as we were on the plane for like 18 hours. Give me a whole Bible study in chapter 11, how we should be praying for the nation of Israel, see their salvation. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. I was like, that's on you, bro. God put that in your heart. I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I am I want to share with the, with the Muslim. That was my heart. And then we go out there. God brings me this Jewish man, Sammy. I have it written right here in my Bible. Look. Sammy, I wrote it in 2017. God brings into my little spirit of influence as we're out there. This guy, Sammy, uh, we start talking. Uh, somehow begin to share the gospel with them. Next thing you know, we're praying. And I walk away like, wow, God, man, you really are still designed to save the Jews. So God shut me up. Because <laughs> for I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, because I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. He says, man, he says, I'm making my aim to share the gospel with all the Gentiles. Because if by me sharing the, the gospel to the Gentiles, it may provoke one of the, the Jews to salvation. He says, for if their being cast away is a reconciling of the world, then what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He says, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, then so are the branches. He says, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, he says, then do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root. But the root supports you. And so making all these, uh, all these similarities, right? And all, the, and all these uh, uh, connections. Paul says, look, man, he says, the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he says, the root of that is in Israel, right? Because the Messiah came from the nation of Israel. He came from the tribe of Judah, right? He says, all of us who, who are Gentiles, who are not, you know, uh, Jews by, 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 by birth, he says, we're like a wild olive branch says, who are grafted in, right? If, now, if you study the, uh, you know, grafting as far as gardening, have you heard about that, Mike? 
right? And, and all right, so I looked it up, man, I saw these awesome trees that were like half uh, oranges, half apples, or like uh, half limes or half pears, or even uh, uh, they had these rose bushes that were just different colors. And in the process of grafting, this is what they do. Correct me if I'm wrong. I try to try to do my good research. So this is what they do. They'll they'll, they'll take a they'll take a, a a plant or a tree that's flourishing. They'll cut off its branch a certain way. It's like a, even a, a certain angle they have to cut it in. They'll take a branch from somewhere else. They'll place it on on, on the broken branch. They'll seal it, and eventually the, the 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 life that is flowing through this tree will extend to this branch that was grafted in, and it will it will feed life into this branch as well that was grafted in afterwards. And Paul says, that's us. That's the church. That's us as Gentiles who came to, who, who were saved by Jesus Christ. Because the, tr- the tree, he says, that tree that we were grafted in, Christ, came from Israel. Came from the Jews. And we're grafted in like some wild olive branch that looks oddly placed. He says, but we're part of the tree nonetheless. He says, so we shouldn't boast against the root. So knowing that, man, we're not holding up the root, right? The branch doesn't hold up the root, but the root holds up the branch. He says, and that's us. He says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He says, well said. He says, but because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. He says, so don't be prideful, don't be haughty, but fear. He says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, then he may not spare you either. He says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity. But towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So he says, man, he says, you might be saying, well, yeah, I was grafted in, but someone needed to be cut off in order for me to be grafted in. And Paul says, yeah, they got cut off because of their unbelief. And it's a sobering truth that, man, there is a lot of people who will go to hell. Hell is a real place. Uh, it is a, a, a real consequence of the rejection of Christ. And Paul says, yeah, they were cut off because of their unbelief, their, their, their unwillingness to come to Christ. Their, their re- complete rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit and their life. Right? And so the more, man, it should, it should motivate us. It should inspire us to share Jesus, to share the gospel. Why? Because it's a reality, right? It's a, it's a real thing. If you look at the clock, somebody dies every single second. This one doesn't have the second hand. But, uh, man, you get so... I've, I've tripped up so much. I look at the clock and I, boom, someone's dead. Someone's dead. Someone's dead. Someone's dead. Every second someone dies. You think about, man, how many people are dying in the world without Christ, without Jesus, and not knowing where their destination is going to be? So Paul says, he says, hey man, don't be, pri- don't be prideful, but fear, he says, for if God did not spare the natural branch, he may not spare you either. That is through our unbelief, right? It's not saying that we should live, oh my gosh, I might lose my salvation if I'm not careful. No, that's not God. That's not God. Right? I believe in eternal security. I believe that, that, that if you place your eternity in the hands of Christ, hey man, you're secure. Jesus would say this in John chapter 15. He says, look, he says, God, all those who you've given me are mine. And nobody can snatch them from my hands. If you've placed your life in the palm of the Savior, no one's going to be able to pry his fingers open and snatch you from his hand. That's a reality. That's truth. I don't walk around every day thinking, oh man, I hope I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. I hope I don't lose my salvation. No, why? Because I'm dwelling in Christ's hand, in his palm. I know he has me in the palm of his hand. Right? He will also say there in chapter 15, hey, abide. Right? Abide. He would encourage us to abide in Him. He says, that you, as, as you abide in me, as I abide in you. Right? For the, the, the branch cannot bear fruit unless it's attached to the vine. And so all of us are encouraged to abide. Because right? there is such a thing as apostasy. As, I know what, oh, 
I know the truth. I know Christ. I've experienced the removal of the Holy Spirit in my life. But you know what? I want nothing to do with it. I know what I'm getting myself into. I know what I'm turning my back on. And God will say, man, I love you. And I'm going to chase you as much as I can. But I'm not going to force you. Right? God doesn't force. That's not who God is. He doesn't force his love on us. And so he would say again. Now, verse 23 says, And they also, if they do not continue, if, if they do not continue in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Notice that. He says, look, man, they turned their back. Right? They didn't believe for the moment. But... God in His always everlasting extending mercy, He's always extending mercy. He's always patient with us. He's always long-suffering. He's not going to leave you, right? He's not going to leave you to your unbelief. He's going to do whatever He can to reach you. That brings me comfort. I have friends who have walked away from the Lord and they see me go the other way because they don't want to hear me tell them about Jesus. And, 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 and I trust in the Lord. I trust His sovereignty. I trust that God's going to continue to pursue me even when I can't. Blow them up, hey, block me. <laughs> Send them a text or whatever, hey man, you change their number. All right, I can't get to you, but God can. Right? He's going to always pursue. For our loved ones, who you think, man, you know, they're just too far gone. I know that God is a God who pursues. Man, our strength runs out when you get tired of encouraging, tired of bringing up those Bible verses, tired of praying for them, tired of all these things. Hey, God doesn't get tired. Right? He continues to pursue in His love. He pursues, He pursues, He pursues. And so someone, someone said, hey man, you go to hell, but you go to hell over Christ's dead body. Right? Because literally he gave his life for us, right? And God's going to do whatever he can to reach that individual and to reach you. And so he says, finishing with this, this is again, verse 23, and if they also, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, they will be granted it, grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature onto a cultivated tree, says, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Meaning, all right, man, here's these Jews who have rejected Christ. You were a wild olive tree. Right? You were grafted in, and it was something unnatural, but there, nonetheless, it's flourishing. So if God was able to graft you in as a wild branch into this olive tree, then how much more is God not, not able to, to graft that olive tree, the olive branch that was cut off and put it back into its original tree? That's what he's saying. Look, man, God is desiring to reach the Jews. And, and God is able. Why? Because salvation came from the Jews. Right? Jesus came from the Jews. He's, Jesus was a Jew. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, talking about the seven-year tribulation period, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It says concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of, of the Father. It says of the fathers, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. I love that. God called them once, it says, and God's calling still stands. No matter what. You may think, look, man, God called me, I did this, did that, I'm too far gone. There's no way God's ever gonna call me again. I already messed up too much. And Paul would say, Look, man, the gifts. And the callings of God, they're irrevocable. They're irrevocable. Right? When I was signing up for the union, and I had my, my little card. I had to go check in uh, every every you know, twice a month or whatever it was. Once I once I stopped, I once I stopped checking in or, or, or signing the books, I went back in. They're like, "No, nah, man, your card's been revoked. You didn't follow the requirements." I'm like, "Oh man, not to start the whole process again. It's a whole lengthy thing. I never went through with it again." But that's not God. 
He just say, no, man, you messed up. Do you miss the deadline? Revolt. No, he doesn't do that. So the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Amen? Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you so, so much, Lord, for your sovereignty, Lord, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love for us, Father. We thank you that you're a God who pursues, Lord. And we know, that, Lord, that you're never going to stop pursuing. Even when we get tired, Lord, we know that you don't get tired. You don't grow weary, as Isaiah says. But you're going to continue to pursue the sinner because you love the sinner, Lord. And you love us. I know that you call us to also do that work of, of, of evangelism or sharing the gospel. And I pray for God for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their walks and in their knowledge of Christ. Help us to grow closer to you, Lord, deeper in our relations with you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.